so I think all of you know Pierre Brando. He's well known in the industry. He's the CEO of, uh, of uh, FMC and had a long career at Home and Haas, Dow and so forth, which we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, but uh, uh, I, like in the case of Bob Patel, maybe start a little bit about the history. Uh, your personal history is a little different than Bob, right? Right? <laughs> I wasn't born in India. You were born in India, and yeah. your mother didn't start in <laughs> Although, uh, you know, Pierre won the uh, uh, International Palladium uh, Medal Award earlier this year from Societe de Cheminas, and I had the privilege of being the chairman. So, I, in his speech and in that nice, the nice comment that Raj Gupta made before, I learned some additional things about his personal upbringing and the, and the effect it had on on his career, including how Raj made you go from France and and then and then take over a position in the middle of nowhere, right? That is correct. <laughs> but maybe can you comment a little bit about you know your your own career and sure. maybe because you, there's some really distinctive things about your own career that are very interesting, but also like Bob have had an impact on how you you know your career and your management of, of the companies you've run. Yeah. I, uh, I was born in France, obviously. Um, my father was in the army, so uh, moved uh, moved around for most of my youth in France and the Middle East. Actually, um, I had to wait until the age of four year old to spend more than three years in the same house. I always had moved after two year, three year. Um, and uh, so after uh, went to school in France and after school decided to choose a company which would commit to send me to the US within two years. And uh, that company was uh, Early Kid. So I joined Early Kid in, uh, in engineering. And after two years they, uh, the company sent me to, uh, to Chicago where I met my wife. Um, and I stayed there uh, three years. Came back to France with Ali Kid and actually you talked about Raj Gupta. That's when I met Raj Gupta. Uh, we were talking, and he, he said you should work for uh, you should work for Roman Haas. I said, well, yeah, but you know, not really. I have a good job. I'm happy where I am. So he said, come to see me in London. At that time, uh, I was in Ali Kid, and Roman Haas was one of the biggest customers of Ali Kid. So you never re refuse an invitation from your customer. So I went to see Raj to London, spend the day together. At the end of the day, he said, it's pretty obvious that I don't have a job for you. It's pretty obvious that you don't want to work for Roman Haas, but you will have an offer tomorrow morning. And I would advise you to accept it tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the way Rajgupta does recruiting. <laughs> and there was a piece of paper by fax, because that time we didn't have email, by fax on my desk the next day. And he was offering me a job, which was a salary with no job. He said, I don't know what it is, but we'll figure it out when you'll join. And we would like you to start in two months. And I went back home at night and I said, well, I'm going to change job and work for Roman Haas. And my wife said, to do what? I said, I don't know. And then she said, you know, you have two kids. I say, yeah, that's a good company. It should be, uh, should be right. I worked for, uh, for Roman Haas in a different job. That, that's when I, I had a, the greatest job of my career. I was in charge of uh, research for Roman Haas based in, uh, on the French Riviera. And, and that, was, that was a great job. 
<laughs> the, 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 the job with the French Riviera. The French Riviera. <laughs> <laughs> my tennis game, my golf game was really great improvement. And, and one day Gupta called me for a breakfast meeting and said, um, got a job for you. You're way too happy here and sent me to Bristol, Pennsylvania to run an acrylic plant. That was not the same story. <laughs> but I did it. You, you know the, the, the next job we, which uh, shaped my, uh, my way of looking at business was uh, Roman House at that time. We, uh, we were an acrylic company, uh, very much uh, from monomers to polymers, but an acrylic chain company. And the company was looking at a growth platform. And, uh, and the view was uh, small volume, high price, high margin, highly technological product. And, and we thought about getting into electronic materials. And that's when uh, I was sent by Roman Haas to, to Boston to, uh, to build uh, an electronic materials business for, uh, for Roman Haas. That time, the CEO was there also. He told me, uh, it was 95, he said, by 2000, we need a billion dollar business in, uh, in, uh, in electronic materials. And I said, why a billion? He said, because a billion sounds good. <laughs> and I said, no, nothing more, he said. Not really, we don't know the market, we don't know anything about this business, but the thing is, Roman has that time was a four or five billion dollar company. If you really want to make a platform, which makes sense, uh, you, uh, you have to build a uh, significant size business. And, uh, and that's when I learned about uh, acquisition, we did an incredible number of acquisition, uh, blending that with organic growth through technology, investment in technology, moving toward Asia, Growing with the semiconductor industry it was a great experience. Actually, it's uh, maybe my uh, the thing I'm uh, the most proud of in my career. When when uh, Raj talked about that at Padio Metal, when, when Roman Haas was sold to Dow Chemical, uh, the valuation was uh, 16 uh, billion dollars. Half of it was the electronic platform, which was the uh, which was a a very, uh, very fast-growing and profitable business. We got acquired by Dow, and at uh, that time I stayed a few months with Dow Chemical and uh, decided to join, uh, join FMC. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I did for the last, uh, last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, one of the, uh, a lot of comment has been about structural change and, uh, and, and transformation. And I think that certainly is a very good description of what you've gone through uh, as CEO of FMC. Uh, you won, maybe you tell us about what, what caused you to take that job, right? what was it that you saw in it. But then if you could talk about what has transformed and how you came decision to make the changes which you've done successfully uh, as a result. Sure. Yeah. Well, I Coming from uh, coming from Roman House, I wanted to run a company which had maybe part of the portfolio in specialty because that's what I knew best and that's what I knew how to grow. Now, quickly when I joined FMC, I realized it was a difficult company to, to run. Think about a company we were in uh, silicate, zeolite, phosphate, peroxygen, soda ash, nutrition, pharmaceutical, and agricultural. Try to give a valuation to that. It was impossible. You could have a business which had multiple of 
five times EBITDA to business, which have multiple 10 to 15 times. My first earnings call, I always remember that I was so well prepared to talk about the health and nutrition and the agricultural uh, strategy to grow that. I could not say a single word about any of those businesses because everybody wanted to talk about soda ash pricing in China. Because that would impact the quarter results. So you could never take your investors to our new growth platform because we had commodities with so much swing on the pricing that that company was, it was. We also had issues to recruit people because we couldn't describe who we were. So we are hiring people who are specialized. So we, we spent after, after five, six months together, a few of us got together and said, what, what, what do we want to be? And uh, we, we looked at the portfolio and we had 10 business units and we said we're really good when there is customer interaction, when there is technology, when there is application. We are not very good at heavy manufacturing and processes. So we decided to, we're going to be an uh, agricultural health and nutrition company. That was the idea. Uh, and then we say we, we have this lithium business. At some point, it should be it should be something. People talk about electric vehicle at that time. Well, it was small at that time, but we knew they were something. We we're not ready to invest in it, but we knew we would do something with this one toward the end of the, of the transformation cycle. So we started transformation. We shut down a bunch of businesses which we could not sell, could not turn to profitability. Then we sold uh, peroxygens, then we sold the sauvage business, and then we made a move which was not very popular with the investment community. We, we bought Kelinova. Uh, it was a, a generic uh, agricultural company. The problem we had, FMC was an America's ag company. So whatever would happen in Brazil and North America would be what would happen to FMC. We all know ag companies depend upon weather. The weather is rarely bad all over the world, but the weather could be ba bad in North America. Then half of your business would be impaired. So we bought Keminova, which was mostly an Asia European company. Didn't explain that very well. People thought, oh, you're moving into being a generic, low multiple, you're going down in technology level. So, and then Brazil came. Uh, Devaluation of the currency, 40% of FMC was in Brazil. The stock price went from $75 to $30 in about six months. I was not a very popular CEO. I had a great vision, but I was the only one to think I had a great vision. It looks like the rest of the world was not in agreement with it, but we, we, we stayed with it. And uh, by 2016, we really thought we had the foundation for our company. We had a global ag, health, and nutrition company, and we had the lithium business, which was ready to be spun off as a public company. So we really thought that's it. Now we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna create that. We're going to build that. The world changed on us. Uh, the uh, a nutrition company, a nutrition world became different. Organic food, uh, clean label. So you had to be very broad. If a company, one of your customers want to use carrageenan, they will tell you, we don't want carrageenan. We are carrageenan free. Why do you have to replace it? Well, we have carrageenan. We are very deep, very narrow. Uh, Ag, the world was changing. Dow and DuPont were getting together. 
Syngenta was acquired by Kim China. Uh, Bayer was by Monsanto. I'm not sure it was a good move, but they did it. Um, and, um, and BSF was also trying to grow into the seed business. So we, we realized that we'd be facing formidable competitors. And us, we would be kind of a hybrid company in the middle. So all of a sudden, we stepped back and we said, wow, the vision we had, it's just not good anymore. We're going to fail in ag because the, the four other companies are going to be way too good. And we're going to fail in health and nutrition because uh, we're not broad enough. So we had to decide where to go. So we said we're going to go into ag. We're going to sell health and nutrition. It's a big multiple. It's going to give us a lot of cash. And because the other companies are merging, we're going to have opportunity to acquire uh, product because of antitrust. And then at that point, I called every single CEO, Bayer, BSF, Dow, DuPont, and Syngenta to say, whatever you divest, you're going to call me. I will have the cash. And uh, so, so that was a change. The world forced us to change. And the decision was we're going to be a pure ad company, we're going to be a technology ad company, and we're going to spin off as a public company the lithium business. Uh, and I was waiting for CEOs to get back to me, and you know, all of them got back to me to try to sell me uh, not the most attractive part of their portfolio. <laughs> uh, but I got my, uh, my Christmas gift in 2017, December, when I got a call from Ed Breen saying, yeah, I'm stuck. We can't do the merger between Dow and DuPont. You've got to buy my uh, my business. He said, it's going to be very expensive. But it's a good business. I say, it's not going to be very expensive because you told me you have to sell your own business. <laughs> and you're calling me. There's going to be a reason for it. And the reason was the European Commission has decided we need five companies in the technical ag industry. If you need five, it means Bayer, BSF, Syngenta uh, couldn't buy that business with their chemical. They were excluded. So then we're in competition against generic, which doesn't have the money, and we're the currency. But then, the good thing is, I have lunch with Ed to talk about, start to discuss uh, the acquisition, and uh, all of a sudden we realized that DuPont was building a big platform in health and nutrition. And uh, that's when we said, how about we do a swap? You take my health and nutrition, I take your right business, we'll compensate with a little bit of cash, and we do the transaction. And that's what we did. And actually, by uh, November 1st, 2017, FMC became one of the, fifth, one of the five largest uh, high chemical companies in the world. And we spun off the lithium business into a publicly traded company. So, and that's the company we have today. By the way, uh, that's why it worked really well for you. But I've done a number, but they're very hard to do because you, it's very hard to get both sides. Each one has something that the other one wants, but within a certain size, so that in evaluation. Uh, but uh, you pulled it off because that was, it, you know, it was a benefit to both sides. You, you know, I, I think when, when you have a deal like that, uh, the beauty of that deal, it's maybe one of the best deal I had to do is, Ed Green had to do a transaction to allow a hundred and fifty billion dollars merger to happen. Whatever plus or minus 
two or three or four or five hundred million dollars when it allows a hundred and fifty billion dollars deal makes the negotiation a little bit easier. It was his top priority was not and, and he had a timetable. Yeah. His top priority was not to optimize the value of the business, was to make it in a way where none of us will have eggs on our face and we'll look or write in a transaction. But the transaction had to happen. So uh, it was it was a deal very beneficial for them and DuPont and, and extremely good for, for FMC. Yeah. But it is rare for those things to be able to happen. It is. Yeah. It and is. Uh, uh, I did one where, again, the, 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 the seller had to sell for antitrust reason. And uh, the logical buyers would be these Japanese who would screw up the market because with the remaining business. So I went to my client and said, do you have something that the seller really would like to have? And then we'll just do a deal. And we did the swap. And then the other benefit, of course, is you have a leeway as far as what the valuation should be, so you can save a lot of taxes if you do as well. But they're very hard to, to do. They're hard to do, and one of the key issues was uh, ag multiple. Those days were in the uh, EBITDA multiple 12, 13, 14. Mm -hmm. You would look at health and nutrition trans transactions because there were very few of them, 17, 18, 19, 20 times. Right. right. It is not this kind of difference when you do a swap. Right. It's, it's not. A it's not very easy. Did you, uh, in the end, how did the shareholders in the market end up feeling about this transition from multiple products, some commodities, so especially different types, and then you know moving yourself gradually to being a kind of a pure player? I think it was very. Uh, the market reacted at the end very well. We had these little bits of a. Of a problem the way what I told you when the stock just took a, took a dive and uh, and it was a difficult time for the company but with the evolution of the uh, the strategy if you think about it in a in a ten year period FMC uh, with its ten businesses versus FMC today as a pure play. The, uh, the market, uh, the enterprise valuation today is five times what FMC uh, used to be. Uh, the uh, EBITDA of the company is only multiplied by two versus what it used to be. So, so, so you have a, a, a multiple expansion mm -hmm. on the company. Sales are bigger, but the sales are not even twice <coughs> as big as what they used to be. So it's really a, a translation into, into market valuation. The, the stock of the company when, uh, when, when I joined was in the $20 and we just crossed, uh, we almost reached 100 uh, yesterday, all-time high at, uh, at 99. But think about it, it's not 99, it's not the same basis because we also have given to our shareholders the lithium business as a dividend. Which is also uh, which is also a company, so it's it's way north uh, of one hundred dollars. And obviously, lithium, although for a long time it was everyone considered very sexy, you know, growth forever, so forth. Obviously, is is running to pumps the road. Uh, yeah. Although I don't know whether you knew that when you started off, or whether it was just fortunate that uh, that, uh, that uh, it's separate now. So. Uh, we, 
I don't think anybody was expecting the lithium business to go where it went to be. But, but I, I think the, the same way the valuation of the company and the multiple, today we are trading at a 13 times uh, next year, mm -hmm. uh, the expansion in multiple was due to the fact that we're a pure play company. If you think about the lithium business, very capital intensive. Ag business, it's technology, it's low capital. You don't, you don't want to load your balance sheet, you need that to do business in Latin America. We have terms and working capital is very high. Those business didn't fit with each other. So uh, then it's not the same type of investors. People who buy lithium minerals businesses don't buy ag, which depends on weather. Not at all the same type of investors. And people were very. And then you have the lithium business, which go up and down. Uh, in a numerous way, and people say, I don't want to buy a company which 80% of the EBITDA is ag, but the stock goes up by 10% because of lithium. So, so we, we were almost forced to, to separate the business, to create the true valuation, and actually it worked. <clears throat> if you look, the, the lithium business going down was more than compensated by the ag business going up and, and the multiple. Yeah. Pierre, it's very interesting because, you know, before when I was talking, I was talking to Bob and I were talking about how management styles, you know, people have certain degrees of freedom in their management style, right? You can't take a startup person and have them run a mature business, for example, usually. But the other is how you, uh, how your career takes you through certain jobs where you learn certain skills and certain ways of living. What I find interesting is that if I look at your career, uh, the nature of the, the businesses that you were running and the, the senior management uh, skills required actually varied quite a bit, right? Because very different growing electronic materials business from versus what you were doing at Dow versus so forth. So maybe you can help understand sort of how you personally pro progress because you've been successful at all those. And yet, in one sense, it's, inter it's interesting because they were very different types of jobs in different types of situations, right? So clearly you weren't applying just, oh, I'll just take what I learned from growing electronic materials, I'll just apply it to FMC and, and so forth, right? Because you clearly changed your view and changed the way you went about it. Any comment about that? Because a lot of this is strategy, but a lot of it is just how you manage things, right? And what skills you have to have. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think the... Uh if I look back in my career and, and where I've succeeded versus where I have not succeeded, I'm much more comfortable in a uh, change environment than I am in a steady state. Mm -hmm. Bob talked about, for example, what Jim did. I'm not sure I'm the type of guy who could have done what Jim did with, uh, with uh, Lion Basel. By the way, you said you knew Jim and you still joined <laughs> Lion Basel. Really? But so, so, so I think if, if you look back at the places where I've been successful, most of the time it was growth businesses and portfolio change. Where I might have not been as successful as you give me, talk about a business I had to run at Roman has, but big monomers business and optimize manufacturing, optimize processes, sweat the assets, maybe less of a skill for me. So yeah, it was a, it was a big, it was a big range of businesses in different situations. But there is a theme for me. If you look at FMC, the business I 
so or let go. Well, the business which we are the most manufacturing intensive and, uh, and maybe less fast growth businesses. Yeah. Well, it certainly says two things. One is, uh, if you're running a company, uh, it's really important to know yourself and to also make sure that you're well matched. Your natural skills and your natural uh, abilities are well matched with the situation. Because you can have, you've, I've seen some very successful CEOs then transplanted to a different situation and they just fall on their face, right? I mean, how many uh, very successful GE or Honeywell managers then were placed some into running other companies and either some succeeded and some were big failures. So a lot of it is that, and that, that puts a burden on the board of directors to choose wisely, right? That uh, in terms of the fit between uh, the CEO with that company, right? And it was a discussion I had with the board of FMC when mm -hmm. I joined the task in the division of the company. And I told them most likely if I would come, the company would look very differently 10 years down the road that they would look when I, when I joined. If, if their intent was to be more in a steady state with a very diversified conglomerate, I, I would not be right. <coughs> yeah, no, that's right. Well, it's very interesting, but it really is important. I think like, in my own case, I I became even though I was very successful at you know at Solomon and Lehman Schroeder, I I I when I looked at what I was unhappy about, I realized it wasn't if I just moved to Morgan Stanley would solve the problem, right? It was that I wasn't a, I, I wasn't going to be happy in an increasingly larger you know financial institution that that I was much more interested in running businesses first of all which by the way investment banking people really don't run a business if you had an industry group you run sales and a little bit of manufacturing and that's it right and 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 and, uh, and so there was a recognition that I'd be better off if I ran a kind of firm that was built around the way I really enjoyed. And, 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 and I had run business before, so there was no mystery about whether I could do human resources and everything else. But a lot of it is knowing yourself yeah. and saying, do you fit with a particular you know, situation? Is that, does, that, does that drive a lot on like, the people that you've recruited and yeah. so forth? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And I think if you look if back, well, half of the management team at FMC came from Roman uh, Haas. Because it was a specialty chemical company, that's what we are trying to, to create. Those were people who were also more comfortable in high growth, uh, portfolio changing environment, and all that. those are the people we, we brought into, uh, into the company. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I really worry about, you know, whenever we've had clients who are, say, commodity chemicals, and they say, we want to get into specialty chemicals. Mm -hmm. we, we basically say, you know, it's not that you don't have the money to do it. The issue is, uh, you know, do you have the mentality to run, especially business well? And and the answer, 80% of the time, is no. It's not an IQ issue. It's a, it's a mentality issue because you can't run, especially because it's the way you run a commodity chemical. Business. Now the big trap is, if you look at the management team we have, you still need to have two or four people. You still have to run your plants. Right. You still need to have processes. You still need to have yield. So you got, you got to make, and, and when it's not your uh, your number one strength, you better have two or three people who are looking at that and and creating those uh, those efficiencies you need in the company. So crystal ball, looking ahead, both for you personally, but also FMC. Well, you know, what do you think the challenge is, and what 
what's going to be the priority over the next five years? Well, you, you know, first I think, um, you know, the discussion at the table, if you look at the ag industry today, um, we are uh, we are a target. We are a target of NGOs. We are a target of people around the environment. Uh, there is uh, it's get becoming more and more difficult, uh, especially in Europe, uh, bringing new products. So, so I, I think we're going to have to. Uh, FNC today, we've we've lived through ten years of transformation. We need to. The focus for me is take this company for the next two years and learn to be a company which is growing in, in a stable portfolio environment, which means developing technology, we have a big technology portfolio, we have 23 new platforms, cost about $250 million in 10 years to bring a new ag molecule to the market. We have 23 of them in the pipeline right now. So uh, we, we got to do all of that in a very sustainable way. Uh, we need to take into account all of the regulatory changes. Uh, so. If, if, if I look FMC today, we're growing the last eight quarters, been growing revenues 10 12 percent uh, year on year. So we, we have a portfolio to grow in this kind of a range, but it's going to require us to be very strong at developing the technology in the portfolio. We're going to have to penetrate into a new market. The, the ag industry is going to change. Uh, big data is going to be. Smart ag, uh, precision ag. The, the world is changing. People are trying to put less and less uh, product on the ground. Yeah. So you got to be super smart about it and how to do it. People have to anticipate more what's going to be happening to to the crops. So, so that, that's a big thing. Is I, for the first time maybe in my career, I'm not thinking five years down the road. I'm thinking two years away now. We we are at a. Uh, a time when the company is going to start to establish what we'll do for the future. We need a pause for two years, and, and we need to sell a company within the existing market on how to grow organically. And, and then we'll see what we do. It is very interesting because there, uh, first of all, there are, there, there are some connections with some of the things that Bob said about uh, the public <coughs> perception issue, right? That, that the commodity and plastic industry going through and the ag business has the same issue, and actually we do life sciences, so the drug companies have the same problem, right? Which is a huge part of what's affecting the business is public perception. And if you get on the wrong end of the public perception, it can be a real, a real challenge, but you can't just let it happen, right? The other part that you, you, you that's part of your business, that's not like, uh, that's not, uh, uh, similar for plastic, but similar to drug companies, is you have products that have to go through a very significant long R&D and regulatory testing thing, which is not true of, you know, of, of, of most chemicals. So in a sense, you've got part of the, you've got both of the pharmaceutical industry issues and you've got partly something that's both pharmaceutical and so So on that end, what's, you know, uh, what's the ag industry trying to do as a group or individually on this public perception side? Because it could be deadly, right, if, if it goes the wrong way, right? Yeah, well, you, you know, we do, we do what, what any industry is, uh, is doing. I mean, right now, if you look at all of us, all of the product we are bringing to the market, softer and softer chemistry, we advertise it, we talk about it. Uh, 
I can tell you there is not a single, I told you about 23 platforms we have, there is not a single platform today in our portfolio. But it would be the same for Bayer, for BSF, for Syngenta. All of them are much softer chemistries from a sustainable development standpoint. It has become a, uh, a, a, way, a way of life. Mm -hmm. we, we, just, we don't even have a choice because we will not get the regulatory approval for, for this product. The toxical, it's, it's the most regulated industry there is in the world today. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and you would not get the regulatory approval if you would not have that. So uh, the problem is, from a PR standpoint today, uh, we are overwhelmed by, uh, by what is happening on the global. Uh, Bayer is the main target of glyphosate, and the noise is so big that PR activity are almost disappearing under the noise which is brought by all of the litigation. So mm -hmm. it's it's a big challenge we have as a as an industry today. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Is there some? But I guess it has a spillover effect, right, for everyone, right? Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. It's. The, there is two, two, two things to look at. First of all, we are in the same world. Second of all, let's face it, it's forcing the industry to do the right thing. Right. I, I don't like to have to spend 250 or 300 million dollars to, to bring the new product to the market and knowing that more than half of the spending is due to the toxicology, not to the development of the technology. That being said, that's all of us. That's our health for the future. That's our environmental environment. So, it, it is the it is the right thing to do, and that's why the industry is is is, is learning how to do today and doing better. The, the biggest the biggest issue is that science in a field like in, in many cases does not always win. Bayer is facing that today with glyphosate. Science doesn't always win then. And it's an uphill battle we're trying to we're trying to learn how to how to from But the good news is you gotta feed people. And the ag is yeah. so critical towards improving the efficiency of farms. And that uh, you know with, so that's on the positive side will create the pressure so that because there are limits to what they can do to try to impede you because they ultimately governments have to make sure people are fed. Right? And by the way well, I, I spent uh, I spent, I spent uh, uh, seven or eight years at Bain and Company, and Monsanto was a client the whole time. I had different clients, so forth. But I did a lot of work on Roundup and Lasso and, and uh, so forth. So, and uh, you know, uh, lysine and methionine for pigs and so forth. Riding around the French countryside with little piglets, learning about how they how they fed them. So it was a, it was a fun part of. Of, of my career, but I have one analogy too, where you know where Raj called you and said, "I want you to join," and so forth. I know this is not what you want to do. I had the same experience with Bill Bain because I came out of business school. I was going into investment banking. I had offers from Goldman and Morgan, and so forth. Bill Bain had just started Bain and Company. You know, he called me and he said, "You've never heard of me," and I said, "That's right. You have no interest in strategy consulting." That's right, he said, uh, and you have uh, so. So uh, I said, thus far you're doing quite well. You're, <laughs> I'm agree with you. But uh, he persuaded me to join the painting company. He said, you'll be a better investment bank. He was very good, by the way, at selling. He said, work me for two years. You'll, 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 you'll be a better investment banker. I ended up there seven or eight years. 
and, uh, and in fact I owe him that because my whole career in life science and chemicals I owe to him by accident, right? <laughs> so uh, thank you very much. This is a wonderful you. conversation. I think we learned a lot about FMC, but probably more importantly, we learned about the way you think and the strategy and some of the things that you've uh, that you've done, which I think have been key to the success of the companies that you've run. Thank you so very thank much. Thank you very much.